Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here's your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You Me Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 120 with my guest and friend, Grant Snyder. Grant is the uh, creator of Incidental Comics. If you go to incidentalcomics.com, you can see all his amazing artwork there. He's also uh, an author. Uh, he recently published the picture book, What Color is Night? It's adorable. I've gotten it for um, nephews and nieces. Uh, it's very sweet. He also has two books coming out in May of this year. Another picture book called What Sound is Morning? And I Will Judge You by Your Bookshelf. Grant is a very talented uh, artist, cartoonist, illustrator. And uh, in this episode, we talk about his transition from freelance artist to published author, boundaries for freelancers, why constraints can be good for creativity, drawing as visualized empathy, and looking closer and listening to the people and world around us. Uh, and uh, one fun note is that Grant was the uh, the artist for... Uh, this very podcast artwork, the Yumi Empathy logo, he created it. And uh, so if you like that style, uh, you'll love Grant's work. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Grant Draws. He's a lovely human. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Before we get to the episode, though, I just wanted to say that you are not alone. I know that things are weird and stressful and maybe a little anxious and panicky right now. But know that you're not alone. I'm here for you. My DMs are always open at Yumi Empathy or at Feely Human. Um, you know, practice mindfulness. Remember, remember that you are a Feely Human and, and being scared is okay. Being anxious is okay. But, you know, do what you can to stay safe. Keep your family safe. It's going to be okay. Um, you know, I'm not a professional, but, you know, I do. Uh, love dogs, and I once buried a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the backyard, and and uh, and then ate it the next day. So that's me. Um, but know that I love you and care about you, and I'm here for you always. Uh, make sure to follow Yumi Empathy and Feely Human on on the socials at Feely Human or at Yumi Empathy, um, and please sign up for the newsletter, which will be coming out once the Feely Human Collective launches in early April. Sign up for that at feelyhuman.co. That's feelyhuman.co. Um, very excited about sharing the Feely Human Collective with you guys. Um, it's going to be a safe space for us to connect heart to heart and really grow and educate each other on the wonders of empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding, all three sort of crucial tenets to my own recovery and mental health. So uh, check it out, feelyhuman.co. Um, what else? Um, oh, always, please, please, please make sure to leave a review and um, a rating in Apple Podcasts. It's a free way to help out the show. And if you haven't done it, I, I would love, I would really love that. Um, and I will read your review on this very podcast because I love reading new reviews. It really boosts my um, self-esteem. It makes me happy. And, um, truly it does, it does very much help out the show. So please relieve reviews and Apple podcasts. I'm going to read one here, actually a new one. Uh, the title is yes. Everything about this podcast is important. It normalizes emotions, mental illness, relationship issues, you name it. They aren't afraid to talk about it. This podcast is about as safe a place as it gets from, uh, Aragami girl. Um, so thank you for that Aragami girl. And um, I'm probably butchering your your name, but uh, thank you for that. Sincerely, that's that's a beautiful thing, and that's that's what it is. It's about creating safe spaces. So, please leave a review if you haven't. Uh, it means the world to me. And uh, give us a follow on socials at Feely Human at Yumi Empathy. 
Make sure you're subscribed if you haven't subscribed. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all the places. Subscribe and uh, enjoy this episode, episode 120 on looking closer and listening with my friend Grant Snyder. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand-in-hand, Break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm thrilled to connect with an old pal and cartoonist and teeth wrangler and new picture book author, Grant Snyder. Hello, Grant. Hi, Nan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been some time since we've connected, and the listeners should know that... Grant was a guest on my first podcast called Joy Sandwich, the one I ran with my wife, Jessica, for four years. And uh, it's been some time since we connected. So great to have you, friend. Yeah, great to be back. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. Uh, Before we get into your story and and stuff that you're doing in the world, uh, we always kick off the show with an emotional check-in. How's your week been? How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling that post-holiday elation when uh, <laughs> when you get back into a normal routine and um, and gear up for the next holiday. Mm. I I feel that as well. I I I don't I don't know if I'd describe it as elation though. It's a bit of a, um, it's almost like a little malaise, a little uh, uh, feeling of like I want to be back in like you know because. Oh yeah. Thanksgiving is, uh, you get some time off and then you're right back into work. Um, and then, you know, transitioning back into, to Christmas holidays is, is sometimes a little tough. Yeah. And it sounds like complaining, but our, our one-year-old decided to, uh, wake up at five thirty most days over Thanksgiving break. So the, I think my elations mainly just getting that extra hour of sleep yesterday. And <laughs> today I was the one who woke up at five and I woke him up instead of vice versa, but I, I at least got some good work done and, you know, back in the, the swing of the week, basically. Yikes. So are you, are you still, uh, doing, so the listeners should know you're, you know, you're a, a wonderful, um, artist cartoonist, but you also like your day job is, uh, as an orthodontist. Are you still doing that? Yeah, so I I recently went down to three days a week at my day job, which has been a an interesting transition, but a good a good one for sure. Um, and then the the other two days I stay at home and and draw draw until I I can't draw anymore. <laughs> That's amazing. So is is the sort of reduction in time in your day job because you've been more successful as an artist? Yeah, so basically, I've um, you mentioned my my first picture book coming out. I've I've been basically trying to do that for about the last half decade or so, and finally, instead of one picture book falling in my lap, I, I got a whole bunch all at once. Um, and so this summer was kind of crazy. I had a bunch of deadlines, and I realized this really fun hobby that I've been doing for for a long time is now um, pretty much a real job that I need to to spend the the time and energy and effort, you know, treating it that way. Otherwise, uh, either the work's going to suffer or I'm going to burn out, get burnt out or the, 
the people's teeth I'm trying to straighten will will straighten the wrong way. So <laughs> it was a good time to do it, and yeah, it's 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 been been fun so far. Well, congratulations! I know like you've been at it a while, and 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 you know you've been at it a while in in the framework of like having a day job, but also oh, like yeah. <laughs> making a lot of art on the side. So before was it just you know you were making art? It was but you weren't being paid for it is that is that sort of like the difference now you're sort of being paid to create stuff no i mean there's there's always been um i've always you know done it in various places for you know for for getting paid um not with that not necessarily being the main motive but um i was doing a i've done a weekly web comic called incidental comics since about 2009 um so it's celebrated its 10-year anniversary Although nobody knew that but me this year. <laughs> well, amazing. That's amazing. And I, I the listeners should go to incidentalcomics.com. It's lovely. Yeah, and it's been it's been fun. And I, I basically do one per week and it's appeared in various publications from um starting out like my 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 local newspaper, the Kansas City Star, um, when I was in dental school to occasionally the New York Times Book Review, which has become more of a regular thing over the years. Um but basically wherever I can you know, whoever I can trick into paying me to draw a comic, I'll, I'll figure it out. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been fun to see that grow. The book stuff has, has been, been the new thing that is a lot more time consuming in some ways because I'm not, I, I don't have that, you know, routine, routine I've been doing for a decade. I have to learn new ways of working, new ways of writing and telling a story. And so that's why it takes, takes more time. Um, and, and, and that's why it's been helpful to have the, the extra time to do it. Right. And that makes sense. Uh, how has that transition been sort of emotionally, mentally? Is, have you sort of hit any hurdles, obstacles along the way? Yeah, I think the tendency for any life change, whether it's a change in schedule or move to a new place or starting a new job, you, you go into it with this like really idealized picture of what it's going to be. Like for me, it was, oh, man, I, I'll have this huge chunk of time. I'm going to get so much more done. I'm going to wander around the park sketching. I'm going to have this carefree artist lifestyle. The reality is, yeah, there's some days that feels like that and it's awesome. But for the most part, it just becomes your routine again. Um, you know, you kind of go back to that baseline level of, of happiness, I guess. <laughs> and so, um, now, now it feels like routine and now it, it feels like work, but, um, yeah, I'm still trying to savor those moments of, of freedom or moments of, uh, um, you know, kind of open-ended play that I, I wouldn't have had otherwise. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I think maybe wrongly, uh, as a culture, we sort of romanticize the artist, the life of the artist and what that looks like. And I've talked to other artists on the show and, and I, you know, talking about sort of the ideas behind the starving artist, things like that. Like, but it's, I feel like in a way it's it's kind of nice to hold on to the idea of like a romanticized version of a thing because for me like when I'm doing a thing that bring you know brings me joy and is a passion of mine right so like for example I'm working on a new project that I'm you know releasing uh in early next year and it's very like it's taking up all of my time and and I'm very passionate about it but like I don't want it to become a thing that's just a routine. I don't want it to become a thing that's like, um, you know, just paying the bills or something. Although, of course, those are the um, unintended consequences of making something a success. But I, I still like want to hold on to the uh, the romantic joy of of just doing this thing that just fills my heart. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had a in, in the midst of like of it. You know, my my Tuesdays and Thursdays doing art, feeling like that, just the normal job. I had a moment where I was cutting up paper, construction paper, and using glue sticks that I stole from my kids, and you know, making these these drawings of icebergs out of construction paper and glue sticks. I'm I'm thinking, man, this is exactly what I was doing when I was like five or six years old, huh. and now I'm doing it like a book, and you know, and as a job, this is amazing. So there there are those those moments of. Uh, of, of joy in the process that, that filter through. That makes sense. I like that. And have you found that, um, you know, cause like doing incidental comics, it, that's really all on you. That's like you sort of doing your thing. You're in your own head. You're creating for, 
you know, you're creating for the community, but you're also creating for yourself. Like now with creating picture books and things like that, you're, you know, you're sort of calling to a higher power in a sense, right? You're, you're, yeah. you're beholden to a, a big company. How <laughs> is that hard? Is that difficult? In some ways it's easier because, um, when I wake up on a Monday morning and I've just, you know, posted my last week comic and I don't have anything new, the, my first thought is, oh man, if I don't sit down and do this, no one's going to, no one's going to make me do it. No one's going to notice it. Mm. Um, I could just not do one this week and it'd be fine. The world's not going to stop. Um, yeah, maybe one or two of the, you know, regular people who read it would notice, but they're probably not going to comment anything or send me an email about it. Um, so, so I almost feel this like, internal stress of, <laughs> of of trying to make that new thing when it's when it's so unstructured with a with a picture book or any kind of book it's it's a team effort so um yeah you have people who are counting on you and yeah there's you know a, a little bit of money from the publisher behind it but um it's also the the positive aspects of teamwork so once you get done with your part it goes on to another person who does their part and you can kind of build on each other's work um so you're not you're definitely not alone um you know, a lone creator, you're, you're part of a, a bigger group. And if, if something that you do is not up to par, they're going to let you know if something's going great, you're going to get a lot of feedback and encouragement. Um, so it's been really cool to see how the, the team aspect of that works. And it's, you know, much different from the solo process of how I create my, my web comics. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you hear the, um, like having sometimes constraints or like having those, that sort of structure can sometimes open up you know, your brain into different areas, right. That you hadn't accessed before. Um, has that been the case for, you know, like what color is night or other picture books you're working on? Yeah, it definitely was for the, the follow-up book to what color is night called what sound is morning, which it doesn't come out till May, but, but it's already completed in, in the process of being printed, I believe. Um, so with once, once the, the book, what color is night was done, we knew we had this um, companion book to go with it. So that was really neat to see, okay, it's going to be about this many pages. I'm going to use this art style. I'm going to use, um, you know, this kind of poetic way of telling the story. And so I had to to take a pretty broad idea, but fit into this very, very narrow box. And I think the result was really cool. Um, when I first got the, when I was first given the idea by my editor, my first thought was, man, like how, how on earth am I going to do this? It's too, it's almost too defined, but the, like you were saying, the constraints uh, really opened up some interesting possibilities in that project, especially. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you? How do you fare with stress? Like, do you? Are you someone who deals with anxiety? You know, uh, what what's 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 going on there in in your head? I'm generally a pretty low stress individual, uh, <laughs> even when maybe I should be be more stressed about the situation, but I do, um, I, I mentioned, you know, kind of struggling with burnout a lot I, there. I feel like it's a, a yearly or, or bi-yearly thing while just, uh, commit to too much or get too much on my plate. And then, you know, that, that definitely, um, results in negative reactions in my personal life and my, in my day job. Um, and a lot of it comes down to frustration at the drawing table spilling over to other parts of my life. Um, so, so in that sense, yeah, stress is a thing. Um, the other thing that kind of creates stress with my, my job is just setting boundaries between, you know, working, working at home. Okay. This is when I need to be at the drawing table. This is when I need to be with the family eating dinner. And that's been a, one of the big adjustments for my new schedule is where are those boundaries? How, you know, how do I set them and how do I follow them? Mm. Yeah. Boundaries are huge. Now I sometimes you- feel like pass my stress on to my wife and my kids and the people around me rather than right. <laughs> internalize. Yeah, exactly. Like, are, so are you having conversations with your wife about like your schedule, your new schedule, the boundaries, you know, all that stuff. Are you having those conversations? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, um, we, we have a one and a three year old at home that our two older kids are in school. Um, so there's always a, always a need. <laughs> um, last week I did something that probably wasn't the most uh, efficient way of handling it, but I, my, my studio space is in kind of like a sunroom by, by one of, um, by, by a living room basically. Um, so I took the couch from the living room and I literally propped it in the, the doorway to my studio to, to make sure no, the one-year-old couldn't get in. 
<laughs> so instead of him, uh, you know, toddling in and, and pulling things off my my table and, and opening the cabinets, he just kind of sat there at the side of the couch, like yelling. There you um, go. That's a literal so boundary. Like, it, yeah, it, <laughs> it helped my stress, but probably increased the stress of my wife Kayla, who you know now had to deal with this uh, one year old desperate to get into another room. Right. So. Grant, we've, I mean, we don't know each other super well, but, you know, we've been connected online for for a while now, for years, and I, I, I get the sense from you that you are a very grounded, sort of calm, you know, person. I mean, look at your life. You, you work as an orthodontist, you are an author, you're an illustrator, you have four children, uh, bongers, uh, where do you think that you're, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I have this perception of you that you're sort of grounded and centered and, and low stress. Like where, where do you think that comes from? Is it just an innate thing? Is that how it went, you know, as a, as a kid? Maybe so. I mean, coming from a fairly stable, you know, uh, family background where, where I was always supporting everything I did. I mean, that's a big part of it. Um, just having, <laughs> and kind of the, the privilege of low, um, low life stress of, you know, things going on, um, which, which allows me to spend a lot of time in my own head. Um, right. I feel like if there were, if there were a lot of other pressures, you know, whether family things happening or financial issues, I mean, I think I'd have a hard time, you know, just being alone with my thoughts in my sketchbook. I don't know if that's true. Mm. Um, but I, I do think I, I've, have had a privilege uh, of being, you know, part of a supportive family. And that's, that's been amazing to have, especially, you know, we moved back um, to Wichita, Kansas about five years ago where my in-laws and my parents live and, you know, just having them around for when we need a babysitter or want to go outside the house and do something. I mean, you know, we can, we can call them up and get away from the, the, the four crazy young people we live with. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, a supportive family is so, it's everything. Like, it, you know, I, I talk a lot about like safety on this show, like having safe spaces to just be ourselves. Like that is so huge, especially for um, a child's development, you know, and, and, and feeling safe enough to express themselves and, and figure out what that means. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Is that is that the type of space you're trying to foster as a as a dad? Trying, absolutely. Succeeding, uh, <laughs> who knows? Not always. Can't be perfect. No, I mean, it's, um, what, what I, one thing I've, as, as a dad, I've been trying to do is as much as I want that, like, like I said, that drawing space of mine to be off limits, I've tried to let my older kids come in and steal my colored pencils and scribble on my art table and, you know, basically make a mess, mm. which is, which is tough for me to do saying, okay, I'm going to be cleaning that up because I have to get to work the next day. But, you know, just giving them that space and that freedom and flexibility to to mess around and experiment with their their thoughts and their ideas and not not stand over their shoulder and say, oh, that's pretty good or that's not very good. You know, just uh, giving them an open time to create, I think, is um, one of my goals as a as a parent. I love that. I love that. And I, it it sounds like it may be, you know, at least initially it, it was a little bit hard for you, like can you help me unpack that a little bit? Is it, is it a control thing? Is it a, you know, you being a sort of discerning artist thing? What's going on there? I think it stems from a, a complicated relationship with art supplies. (laughs) No, I mean, that's a very shallow interpretation of it, but so I, I have like, I have my special art pens, which I don't want them touching. I have these, you know, this, this good paper that I don't want them scribbling on. And then I have these, uh, these Prismacolor pencils, which I, I don't use that much by using for sketchbooks. So I made it so that, okay, you guys can't touch these pens. I, I use these day in, day in, day out for my comics. This, this paper I'm using too a lot. It's off limits. These nice pencils, even though, you know, it costs, I don't know, 50 or 70 bucks for a new set. Go for it. Go, you know, put them in the pencil sharpener, grind them down to a nub, you know, use them to like bonk on the table and, and break the lead every time I'm going to let that part go at least. Um, cause I, I, I tell myself, obviously I can just, you know, buy a new set of pencils and it's no big deal. Right. Um, I don't need to make my kids draw with the, 
the crummy Crayola crayons or rose art pencils or <laughs> sure, sure. I, can, I can relax a little bit. And, um, but as far as any deeper thing, um, I haven't reflected on that too much. Yeah, no worries. I was just curious. I, I think it's, I think what you're doing sounds great. Like you're, you're creating, cause I, like I remember when I was a kid and maybe you can relate to this, like, you know, when a parent gives like the ultimatum of like, you know, you can't do this and the other option is nothing, right? Like you're not right. like giving any other option. Like as a kid, like that is like the most compelling thing and you're going to probably find a way to do that thing, <laughs> you know? So giving them yeah. a little out and a little um, compromise, right? Like I think right. is, yeah. is healthy. Definitely. Yeah. And I definitely struggle with that in other ways. I mean, it's so easy to put your foot down and say, you will not do this, but, um, that's a good way to, to foster rebellion for sure. Yeah. It, when you were growing up, when, when did the, when did the creativity get into your, into your sort of brain? When did you start sort of dabbling in, in art? My, my twin brother and I were basically very artistic. I think from a young age, my aunt and uncle still have these drawings we did when we were maybe three or four and they're these really intricate scenes of pirates and ninjas and robots and, and you know underwater creatures. I mean, just just these crazy scenes of action, and we all we made up stories to go with them and stuff. And um, looking back, I'm I'm just impressed by the level of detail and stuff and, and creativity in them. Um, so we were always encouraged because we always had a little bit of a knack for it. And then obviously, you know, hearing praise from classmates and teachers and parents and, and relatives. Um, you you want to continue to to build on that. So, plus we had that twin competitive streak. We were both trying to do a little bit better than the other person, um, mm -hmm. and, and that's been a fun a fun dynamic even even up through our adulthood. When I do a drawing, I'll show it to Gavin and say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" He'll tell me, "Okay, change this," or "This is good," or "This is not good." And I don't do the same thing for him quite as much because he's he's nicer. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but but we, we both we've been good sounding boards for each other from you know, age three up to, up to age uh, 34. Wow. That's amazing. And is, uh, Gavin still, is he still making art himself? Absolutely. Yeah. He's, uh, he works, he has a day job as well as a, as an architect, um, in, in New York. And he, um, on the side two days a week, similar to what I do with my orthodontics does freelance illustration and design. So he'll do murals. He, um, he has an Instagram account, Gavin to draw where he um, does live drawing of buildings and, and posts them, you know, in a sketchbook and has a pretty good following there. So our, our artistic paths took a little bit different route, but, but definitely it's something that's super valuable to both of us and a big part of our lives. That's amazing. So Grant, do you have aspirations of eventually ditching uh, the orthodontist job uh, as a whole? You know, I think it's a, it's a year by year or, or decade by decade evaluation. So, um, not anytime soon for sure. I, I love doing the work with, with braces and it, it definitely gets me outside of my head and into the community and, um, makes me a responsible member of society. Um, but I, I think the big thing for me, no matter what point I am in my career, will be finding that balance, right. you know, and whether that balance is, um, doing this halftime doing doing, um, the orthodontics halftime or, you know, changing that balance a little bit more, I think will, will depend on where I am in my, in my book, and my drawing work. Yeah. Yeah. I have no five or 10 year plan. If that's what you're asking. <laughs> Who does? Yeah. No kidding. I mean, if, I think if you, if you set one, that's a, that's a sure bet that it's not going to go according to plan. You're going to be surprised um, in one way or another. 100%. Yeah. I think it's really hard to plan that far ahead in the future. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I would like to do my own kids' braces. So that's, you know. Well, there you go. Or 12, 15 years away. So <laughs> I, I, do have, I, I do have that natural uh, um, boundary built in, basically. So this is maybe a little tangent, but like on the braces front. So I, I didn't have braces, but um, I think my sister did. And uh, one of my brothers had braces and like... Um, uh, like a headset. Oh, the headgear. Uh, yeah. The headgear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it, pr is it like a sort of, um, inevitability that kids nowadays, like eventually will have braces? 
so what I tell most parents is, you know, only a handful of patients I see each week actually need braces, you know, have a, have a tooth that's not going to come in otherwise, or have some major bite or, or alignment issue. Um, so, so for a lot of people, it's kind of an elective thing, but due to, you know, society expectations of having a, a nice smile due to kids seeing other, other friends at school and wanting, Hey, I, I want braces and colors and stuff too. Um, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of push towards doing them, you know, even if you don't have any of those major problems. Interesting. Um, and yeah, I think for most people, it's such a big, um, I, I guess confidence builder when you, when you see the straight smile afterwards, it's, it's certainly worth it. And I, I never try to like talk somebody into braces who doesn't want them. But at the same time, I do try to make people see, Hey, it, it can be a big benefit if that's, if that's where you want to go. Mm. So like, I think where my mind went initially, and I think it's probably unfair is like the word vanity, but I think it's to your point, maybe it's more about fitting in and community and like feeling confident in yourself. Yeah, probably, probably a little bit of both. I mean, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I think um, the vanity aspect of it probably doesn't come into play too much with teenagers. Sure. I think they just want to, <laughs> they just want to be accepted and want to be, you know. Um, That's maybe, all we ever want, Grant, yeah. is to, <laughs> it, to feel like we belong. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Did you have braces as a kid? I didn't. So I, I, I didn't have them until I was in dental school. Uh. Um and so I, I, I did braces in dental school and Invisalign a couple years later because, you know, my retainer broke like like a, a bad patient. <laughs> and so I, I kind of got to experience it um, as I was going through the process of learning how to how to do it myself. Is there any crossover between like your two worlds, your art world and your orthodontist world? Like, do you have like, you know, Gavin Snyder art on your walls at, at your orthodontist office or is there any crossover ever? A little bit. I mean, there's a, there, there's a few places in the office where we have, you know, small prints of my work. And that was just because the, um, one of our office managers thought that'd be cool. And I, and I agreed to it. I wasn't like say, Oh, let's put my art up on the walls. Um, (laughs) one of, uh, one of the funniest things that happened was last week, um, I had gone to a, an elementary school to do a, a book reading and of my, my new kids book, what color is night and uh, it was a first or second grader who saw it, and I signed his book afterwards and took a picture with him. And the, the next week, his mom brought him into the orthodontist and was so excited and brought the book in and brought the picture of me and this kid. And, you know, I saw him for an orthodontic consultation, and I think the mom was just super stoked about it. The kid seemed a little bit embarrassed, but that was that was a cool, like, way to see those two worlds collide, which very rarely ever happens. Wow. That's that's really neat and and really sweet. It's also like got me thinking like it's almost like you have well I guess that you know uh when when uh, my initial thought was like you have like a built-in reader base as an orthodontist but like <laughs> but maybe that's unfair and most kids who read picture books are you know 3 to 5 and probably 3 to 5 year olds are not getting braces question yeah, mark I don't, I I very I rarely see people under the age of seven. Yeah. And when I do say like, come back in two years, basically. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. And yeah, I, I do. It's, it's, this is maybe one of my, um, not anxieties, but I don't know. I, I try to keep them very separate just because I, I find it weird when those paths do cross. I mean, that, that story I told you was pretty cool, but, um, I've, I've almost like deliberately put a, put a wall between them and I don't know if that's for better or worse, but, mm. um, but that's the way I've treated it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I, I think I get it. I, I think that, yeah, there's something about it that, that makes sense to me. I can't, I can't put a, I can't pinpoint why, but I, I think it makes sense. I think that makes sense. Um, so one of the like things I love about your, your art and, and, and in particular, like the work you've been doing on incidental comics is, a lot of it is about, um, or the the pieces that really resonate with me uh, are about like sitting with our thoughts and sitting and and being still in our in our heads, right? And and that's for me that's that's a lot about what like self actualization is about. That's what like 
mental health is about. It's really about like sitting with our feelings, sitting with our thoughts, being present in our bodies. Um, for yourself, like that, that sort of idea, like sitting with our thoughts, sitting with our bodies, like how, how often are you doing that for yourself? Is that something that you're doing as an artist, as a person? Yeah, I think one one thing I've noticed about my comics over the years is they they reflect really whatever I'm thinking a lot about that at the moment. Um, and one interest of mine in the last few years has been to use kind of a I guess a trite term now mindfulness, um, or I guess not a trite term, but I, I think it's it's a little overused. Um, but basically, I feel with 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 the distractions of my my day to day with always being on email, always having my phone with me. It's really drawn me away from that, the comfort of sitting at the drawing table alone with my thoughts, working on a new idea. I'm trying to think back like pre-smartphone, pre when I was so attached to the internet, when I, you know, maybe before I had Twitter, was was it easier for me to create? I don't know. Hmm. Um, but I've, I've tried to carve out um, places in my, my day-to-day routine where I can have that, that time alone with my thoughts. And usually with a sketchbook and, and a pen or pencil. Um, and, and the, my experience is when I'm able to do that, when I'm able to have alone time with my sketchbook, eventually find themselves, you know, turned into a comic because that's when I have some of my deepest insights or reflective moments. Um, but it's certainly not easy to find them. Yeah. What helps you get there? Cause like, I know like maybe for the listeners, uh, who are listening to this and, and feel like they want to maybe carve out some of that time and, you know, whether it's to just be mindful and sit with their thoughts or to doodle or whatever, like, do you have any tips on sort of finding those spaces? For me, lunch breaks are a big one. So um, over, you know, from noon to one at my, when I'm at my day job, um, I, I try to, to not, every day have an errand to run. I try to set aside some, just some time to do basically nothing. So I'll like, um, go to a park if it's a nice day out and wander around and, you know, get lost in a little trail that goes off the main path. Um, or, or if it's, um, colder out, you know, I'll go to the library and just, you know, sit with my sketchbook or or read a book or something. Mm. Um, and so, yes, clearing your schedule, making an intentional time to be like, Hey, I'm going to leave my phone in the car. I'm not going to, you know, go to the grocery store, get gas or, um, or take care of, of something I need to get done. I'm just going to walk around and, and be alone with my thoughts. Um, when I, when I schedule it, it's always fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, like you use the word, it's like a privileged place to be. And I, I think you're right, but, you know, that's, that's just a recognition. That's not necessarily a negative. It's, it's also a magical place to be. And I think, you know, now with technology, with Twitter, with, with, um, I think this idea of, you know, especially in American culture that we're kind of so obsessed with busyness, right. And productivity and, and these things that we just get obsessed with. And then we're sort of busying ourselves over things that, don't matter and i think there's there is a lot of um creativity and mindfulness and just creation and 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 joy that can stem from really taking the time to to you know remove those distractions and just sit with our with our thoughts right and and really creating that time is i think super beneficial for our mental health yeah and the flip side of that is too much of that time can also be, be a detriment. Um, so my, my experience, um, and I've, I've kind of told this story on my incidental comics blog before, but, um, my experience of trying to write this picture book, I thought I, I needed like an unlimited amount of that reflective time. Mm. Um, and, and found myself on this artist residency, you know, alone in a cabin in the woods for a week. And that was way too much of <laughs> mindful time for me. Um, I think it's, what, yeah, did, it, I, what I, did that feel like? Like, was it uncomfortable? 
Absolutely. And, and that, that might be more just my, um, my inability to, you know, to ever be a monk, I guess, but, <laughs> um, or, 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 or my lack of preparation for the time. Mm-hmm. But instead of this, you know, this great and powerful thing, it was more like a crippling thing of there, there's way too much time. I don't know what I should be focusing on. Yeah. I want to be a little bit productive, but not too much, but I don't know where to, where to find that balance. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's, I mentioned getting into the routine of, of not being on a holiday at the beginning. Um, if I, if I'm able to sprinkle those moments into my routine, it's a lot more more valuable than having just constant uninterrupted hours of time. Um, luckily my schedule rarely ever allows for those, you know, more than one interrupted hour at a time anyway. But, um, you know, just, just having the 30 minutes to an hour here and there, I think can be even more powerful than, than, than huge chunks of time. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And it goes back a little bit to what we were talking about before about uh, having a little bit of ha- having those constraints, having a little bit of structure and and that sort of feedback loop can be very can get us out of our heads a little bit. Because I, I think you're right. I, I think while those spaces are important for self-actualization and growth, I think uh, we can also get way too wrapped up in our heads and just you know, get overwhelmed with it. Like I know I've been there before. So, you know, you being a dad of four children now, which is bonkers to me. And I don't know how, how on earth you find time to do anything, uh, let alone like have two jobs, (laughs) you maniac. Uh, what, (laughs) like, what have you learned about yourself, you know, in being a father? Like what, what are some, even self-care practices you've learned uh, through sort of like being a father and, and balancing time with your kids and yourself. It's, I feel like it's a constant learning process. I mean, um, I, parenting for me has been like, it's an amazing experience. It's, it's rewarding in every way I thought it would be, but it also like really exposes how bad of a person you are in certain ways. Like, <laughs> Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell my kids don't do this and then I'll, I'll go do something similar or like, um, you know, ba- basically just, can you give me an example that you're not telling your kids like, don't, don't murder. <laughs> and then you go off and murder. Like, can you give me an example? <laughs> well, let me think about that. Um, <laughs> cause you're right. Like I, I, and I'll let you think on that for a second. Like yeah. it is. It is like, again, I'm not a parent, but I have most of my friends are parents and it's they talk about this. They talk about this being, you know, being like the struggle with being um, a great role model. Right. And and I think there's a trap there, too. I think like sometimes maybe we need, you know, our culture like needs parents to be these perfect creatures. But the fact remains is that like we're fallible. And how do you relay that to your kids in a way that's like uh, helpful and informative and, you know, allows them to feel like that they can screw up too? you know, it's it's hard. Luckily, they're they're well aware of, of their parents own infallibility. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm sorry, fallibility, not infallibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An, an example I thought of was so basically just. um yelling at your kid to be quiet i mean and i find myself doing this constantly like would you guys please keep it down and, and i'm you know yelling at the top of my lungs or or don't hit your brother and then you know what's what's the consequence for hitting your brother oh well that's a spanking i mean stuff like that it's uh it's 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 obviously completely reverse of what i'm trying to tell them and teach them mm. uh, yet you find yourself doing it constantly as a parent and those are you know it's it's not all super negative examples like that i mean there, there's there's more minor things, but, um, you know, just realizing that your every move and action and word is being scrutinized, whether you want it to be or not, that's, and they're, they're learning from you at all time. That's kind of a, it's a powerful thing, but it's also kind of terrifying. Yeah, I could see that. And, you know, it's gotta be very, I mean, you're probably building up quite the humility as, as a dad, right? (laughs) I mean, because it's yeah. it's it's your 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 infallibility is constantly on display and being tested, right? Yeah, I think I think everyone has a different you know before being a parent, 
has a different idea of what kind of parent they will be. And, and when they get in it, they're like, oh, so this is how I'm really going to be. Mm. And not, not to say that's a bad thing or anything, but it's, it's another example of the expectations of something versus reality of something. Right. And, and a lot of times that like what helps with that, when it, whether it's parenting or, or anything, expectations versus reality is, is about trying to be present, right? Is that, is that something that you work on? Yeah. So I've, I've tried to keep my phone in the car. So when I, when I get home from work, keep my phone in the car before until they're, they're in bed. So that's, it's a fairly short time. I mean, it's a couple hours, but that's a time when I'm not going to be looking at Instagram or thinking about who I need to email. Um, and so I, I try to, to set that boundary. Doesn't, I don't always do it, but I, I have the intention to, um, and just have, you know, that, that time when I'm home of like a uninterrupted focus on, you know, on them and, on eating dinner and, and cleaning the kitchen or whatever else needs to be done too. Yeah. Um, one, one thing my wife has been doing lately, and I think it's, it's been a really positive thing is having just 10 minutes of time of individual time with each, with each child. So with, with a big family, I mean, every, you know, sometimes the, the one-on-one time gets lost in the mix. So if she can spend, or, and, and I do this too a lot, spend 10 minutes with one kid doing what they want to do. That's a short time, but that's really valuable because you get a, a really different side from them than when they're interacting with their siblings or trying to, you know, vie for attention with three other kids. I mm. mean, um, they really, their personality opens up and, um, that's really beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really valuable. That's really great. I love that. Um, when it, so you have this picture book, what color is night, which I, I just purchased a copy of, uh, for one of my, one of my nephews. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, so I haven't read it yet, but I, 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 one of the things, Grant, I love about picture books, and maybe this is just me, this, maybe this is just like me being who I am and just seeing what I want to see in things. But for me, I, I love the picture book as a medium because I think there is a lot of opportunity for, for empathy, for showing children how we can be empathetic creatures. Do you feel that in picture book oh, yeah. genre? Yeah. One one quote I love is by Mo Willems, who's basically the, the Dr. Seuss of our time, I feel like, the most oh, he's great. renowned and <laughs> hilarious picture book author out there. Um, and he said that drawing is – I'm, I'm going to mess up the quote anyway. Um, drawing is visualized empathy. So whenever he draws a character or any you know artist draws, draws a character, whether it's cartooning or, or picture book making – um, when you read that and see and see the characters speaking and, and interacting with with what's going on in the story, you're basically placing yourself into the the heart and mind of that character, um, and so you're you're kind of living the story with them as it's being read to you or you're reading it, and that's just something as humans that we do. And when I when I heard that quote, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. That that explains why we can be so attached to like, you know, just the a pigeon, you know, trying to drive a bus or, right. or, you know, pretty silly character on face value, but we, we invest that character with our emotions and feelings and our life history. And, and that makes a story even more powerful. Mm. I love that. I, and I love Mo Willems. So when you're creating like your characters, are you, you're thinking about the audience, you're thinking about like, okay, like how is this reader going to be connecting to this character? I don't know that I actively think about that, but hopefully that comes out. Um, this this first picture book I I drew the it's it's very it's it's not character driven at all. Um, I, I have another one that's that's in the works or, or mostly finished that's very character based. I think meets that a little bit, but I feel like in my comics, whenever I I draw the frustrated writer at the drawing table or the the guy wandering around on his lunch break looking at nature, I'm certainly you know, hoping to capture some of that, um, that empathy from the audience. Yeah. So with what color is night, your new picture book available now, everyone, uh, <laughs> shameless <what>? plug, <laughs> not shameless, uh, without shame. 
No, I guess that is shameless. <laughs> I have no shame. Yes, I'm I'm uh, happily doing shameless plugs. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, with what color is night? What what are you trying to evoke? Like what what do you want to evoke in the reader? Basically, putting putting the reader there in in these various scenes that happen at night, and just seeing the the beauty or the interest in the the natural landscape or the cityscape of uh, of nighttime, and and really hopefully giving them a feeling that they're there watching this this thing um it it kind of came from direct observation from a lot of walking around my neighborhood sketching it at nighttime or memories of, of things i'd seen with with nighttime scenes and 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 trying to connect that to various colors to make it a make it a bigger picture hmm. so is it about like um, being observant of our natural world, being observant and looking closer and sort of finding things that we may not see if we're not looking, if we're not sort of opening our hearts to those things. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great description. Even uh, um, maybe, maybe the third line in the book is look closer. And similarly the the what sound is morning book, which, which comes out soon will be um, it's listen so look closer and listen. I feel like those two commands are are basically the the summaries of of what those two books are about. I I love that, and I I think looking closer and listening uh, are integral to empathy. Really, like empathy is about right me, uh, meeting people where they are, seeing them for who they are, um, re, you know, relating to them in a way, and 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 without. Li- without listening, actively listening to someone or listening to a situation or really sort of paying attention, looking closer, we're not, I think, really able to empathize in the way that we can if we, if we, uh, you know, if we're actually looking closer, or listening actively. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that extends to, to empathy for not just other humans, but to like the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, another big um, interest of mine when I was a, when I was a young kid was environmentalism. So I was, I would like, you know, find a, a contest and write an essay about saving the rainforest or the whales or something like that. And I was, I really just, I had this passion and this idealism for, um, you know, for, for conservation that, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder like, why, why don't I still have that same, that same drive and that same, you know, um, <laughs> burning, burning passionate to, help those causes and do those things. Mm. I think the first step maybe is the, the looking closer and listening and noticing, you know, these other life forms around you and, and, and their needs as well. Yeah. It sounds like it's just a more, it's still there. It's just like, it's still there in you. It's just a more, um, it's just a bit more complex now. It's a bit more nuanced. Yeah. You're, you're sort of channeling that into the messages in your art. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, what, so are there any, um, when you were creating these, uh, two picture books at what colors night and then the, the new one coming out in May, what, what are, what were your inspirations? What, what sort of things did you look at as inspirations? Um, that kind of thing. So I've always been drawn to. Well, I mean, just just picture books as a form. So, so looking at some of my favorite books and, um, you know, seeing how the the artists made made their images and stuff, and um, that, and and basically having the the constraint of trying to make most every image in the in the book something I had seen or witnessed or put down in my sketchbooks. So, one thing that's really fun for me is to start a new project and and just sort through old sketchbooks from, you know, going back decade or more now and seeing, okay, what was I doing at this time? What was I thinking? What was I feeling? What was on my mind then? And seeing how, you know, how my perceptions and perspective have changed and how I can take that, you know, little bit of information from the past and and bring it into a new project. Okay. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think there's so much, um, I love I love that you can. I mean, I I, I sort of envy an uh, artist in a way because I think there's a lot of um, 
like a tangible uh, way to interpret like this thing that we all humans should do is just looking closer and taking in our surroundings, right? And you have like this this gift of like putting that into this medium of art, right? But I think as a whole, you know, as we've been talking about, like I think there's so much value in just being cognizant of what's going on around us and taking that in and thinking and, and sort of ruminating on like, okay, how are we connected to this? How am I, how's my role in this, A you know, i.e. the environment or um, this city or our culture? Like how, how am I playing a role in impacting these, these things? Yeah. And it's, it's really hard to make those connections in the moment too. So like yeah. it's only after you, or at least for me, it's only after I put them onto paper, close close the notebook, set it on a shelf for months and months that I can go back and see it's okay. This is how <laughs> this is how I, I really relate to this experience or relate to this scene I observed. This is how I can connect it to something bigger. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost like a form of time travel where you you know where you can go back and see maybe with greater uh, clarity what you what you had experienced at a time in the past. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um. Uh. So, the new picture book, "What Color Is Night," is available now. The second one, which is called "What Again?" What sound is morning? What sound is morning? That's out in May. How are you doing? Any um, like uh, a book tour or anything like that? Not not specifically for the picture books, but for um my my next comics collection called I will judge you by your bookshelf. I still love that title. Nice. Um, It's great. I I think I'll be doing a Midwest tour sometime in early May for that book. Okay. (sighs) Midwest only no California. Hey, talk to your local bookseller and I'll happily (laughs) fly out there. All right. All right. No, I, I, for, for now it's, it's Midwest, which is, you know, should allow me to, um, see some new cities I've never been to and, and still um, not not have a huge amount of time away from my my family and my, my day job. But right. yeah, it's kind of starting small with this one, but I'm really excited for it. That's awesome. And and I know What Colors Night is fairly new, um, but how, how has it been received? How, how is it selling? Are you sort of clued into that stuff? No, I mean, there've been some nice reviews, which is always cool to see that, hey, somebody else read the book and, and took the time to write about it. Um, the coolest thing for me has just been among among the community. So we had a, a book launch at the my local bookstore, Watermark Books in Wichita, Kansas. And Kayla had gotten basically rallied our, our friends and relatives and acquaintances. And, and there was like a packed house of, you know, 75 to 80 percent of the people we knew from from someplace, but it's amazing. Uh, just, just this huge outpouring of support from, you know, people I see weekly or monthly. And, and that's been neat to, to do something that, that can be, that they can read their, my, my friends can read to their kids before bed at night or, um, you know, give to relatives for Christmas. I mean, that, and that's, that's one thing I didn't expect with this book. I just, that more personal aspect of it has been really cool. That's awesome. That's amazing. I love that. Um, all right. Well, uh, we'll plug your things in a moment here, but um, we always sort of start ending the show, wrapping up the show with a segment called Empathy Heroes. So this is the part of the show, listeners, where my guests and I each each mention uh, an empathy hero in our lives, someone who is very empathetic, could be even a character from a book or a movie um, or a quote we love from a, a favorite author. Um, I will go first with my empathy hero to give Grant a moment to think on his. Uh, my empathy hero this week is the author Ellen Forney. Um, she's uh, a cartoonist and author. She wrote the book uh, Marbles. It's a graphic memoir about her dealing with uh, bipolar disorder. Uh, and then she has a newer book called Rocksteady. And I got to meet her recently in person. Um couple weeks ago as of this recording i i drove up to la and spent a couple hours at this old sanitarium um in the glendale area uh and i got to meet ellen's mom and and then we went back to ellen's mom's house in 
LA and uh, we were going to record and one of my mics wasn't working. So we didn't record. But all of that to say, I got to spend a few hours with this person I had never met before, um, just sort of been an admirer of her work. And it was lovely. And we really connected. And she is um, just really doing great work in, in sort of uh, allowing others into her own story and meeting them halfway. And um, she's a very talented artist and just a good empathetic human. So Ellen Forney um, is my empathy hero this week. How about you, Grant? Well, I just want to say I loved her her book Marbles. And then yes, um, did she do the illustrations for the Sherman Alexier Yes, book? she did. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she's an artistic hero of mine and an empathy hero of yours. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's yeah, um, the absolute true story of a part-time Indian. Yes, yeah. I love that book. It's amazing. That was a great book, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, empathy hero for you? Sorry, I'm still thinking. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> um, it could be it doesn't have you don't have to narrow it down to one person either. Um could be uh, one of your favorite. Uh, could be Mo Willems. Could be. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll do one better. Um, so, I think when you look at Mo Willems' uh, artwork, you know you can see the, the facial expressions of his characters, which is obviously how he and that their poses and how he conveys empathy. But if you look at their eyes, do you know who he uh, who he models the the facial expression of his characters? What artist he's referencing quite a bit? Interesting. I do not know. Please tell. So, um, Charles Schultz and, and, and peanuts, oh. uh, you know, basically just, uh, like the elephant and piggy books. If you see like the, the worried look on, on elephant's face, like that's a pure Charlie Brown expression. Oh. Uh, and you can, I mean, definitely I'd say the majority of cartoonists after Charles Schultz were influenced by him in some way. So that's not like a unique thing to Mo Willems, but, um, that's just how it reminded me of him. But basically just, the. Uh, um, the experience of reading Peanuts as an adult, I I, um, I read it as a kid, but had no idea what was going on. And I, you know, I'd seen Snoopy advertise too many MetLife commercials and, you know, flying the Macy's Parade and stuff. So I didn't I didn't have any personal connection to Peanuts until about I, I would say a couple of years ago. I started checking out the the um, collections from the library, mm. and I just really got into the especially 60s, 70s era peanuts, um, you know, just, just seeing the world through how Charles Schultz did and in the eyes of these really sim- simplified graphic characters, but that are all reflections of his personality in some way. Um, another reason I'm thinking about him is I'm trying to, to show my kids a uh, Charlie Brown Christmas and great pumpkin every holiday. Oh, that's uh, great. And the, the day, Downside, as I say, they start calling each other things like blockhead and stuff, but <laughs> just, uh, um, you know, sharing, sharing the experience of watching those shows and, and hopefully reading the comics someday has been cool. So my empathy hero uh, for the Christmas season is Charles Schultz. I mean, that's an amazing one and one that hasn't been mentioned yet. So um, that's, I love that. I, I love that a lot. Like I, peanuts are one of those comics, like, like a, um, Oh, uh, Calvin Hobbes or something like it's it's something that is so accessible to kids like kids can get a lot out of it. But adults, too, like there's so much there. There's so, it's so deep, you know? Yeah. The amazing thing is, I mean, if you if you read through it, he's obviously writing for himself above all else. Like he's replaying things in his childhood or even things in his adulthood and filtering them through these characters. Right. Uh, and and somehow made a hugely commercially successful strip out of it. That's, that's kind of the, the miracle of it all that he was able to distalize all his um, experience and anxiety into, you know, something that every single person can read. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Grant, uh, where can Yumi Empathy listeners connect with you, order your book, what color is night and all that, all that loveliness. On the social media, at, um, Incidental Comics is is my um, Facebook page and website, incidentalcomics.com. And then on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Grant Draws. Um, and those are places to see, you know, basically my weekly comic posts as well as um, a lot of announcements when I have a new book out and sharing some 
process stuff from those. Um, what color is night? You can get that wherever you get your books. You know, go to your local bookstore and ask for it if they don't have it. Um, definitely support your local bookstore, especially around the holidays. Um, yeah, and, and there will be a few more books out next year, which I'm excited to, um, you know, share with the world in 2020. Awesome. And and you have, I mean, I know that um, people can buy your art on Incidental Comics, buy prints of your art. I know I have done that. And then you also have uh, The Shape of Ideas, which is a book uh, I love and, and have as well. Yeah, and The Shape of Ideas is now a, a couple years old, but I feel like um, still a great re- reflection of my creative process and something I'm really proud of. And then I, I do have... Um, prints of, of basically any drawing I've ever done from incidental comics I that I mail out to all over the world. So it's always cool when somebody thinks highly enough of a of something I've drawn to, you know, tack it up on their wall or use it for decoration in the bathroom or wherever. That's always super flattering still. Yeah. Well, uh, listeners, go to incidentalcomics.com. All of those links will be in the show notes. I personally have the Stray Books uh, um, comic in framed on my wall. Uh, one of Grant's amazing comics. So go go check it out. Uh, go order What Color is Night for your kids, for your nephews and nieces. Um, it's, uh, yeah, support, support our local artists and authors. Grant, thank you so much for being a guest on Yumi Empathy. Oh, so... <laughs> I mean, I'll probably mention this in the show notes, but I just wanted to mention it here. Listeners, if you're not aware, Grant, of course, was the artist uh, behind the logo for Yumi Empathy, uh, as well as my old podcast, Joy Sandwich. So um, if you're into that art, if you like the logo for Yumi Empathy, you're going to love all of his stuff, uh, which is kind of fun. Anyways, um, Grant, thank you so much for being a part of this. Thanks so much, Nona, and thanks for letting me draw your logo. That was a really fun project. Oh, it was my pleasure. Like I, you know, anytime I think of like that need, you uh, you pop into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, listeners, uh, again, go follow Grant. Go buy his books. Go read all of the things from him. He's wonderful. And to you, uh, listeners, I'm here. You're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, on Spiring Pale Blue Dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Oh.